0: Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the cave tonight are Spooky Sally Christie. Ooh.
1: Ooh. We should have done the Halloween theme tonight instead of Vertigo. That would have been good. Totally.
0: Oh, see, we keep Halloween missing week. these tricks, getting in late. Lucky yep. hell. And Supernatural series Howard. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's really spooky, Paul. It really <laughs> really sets the tone, doesn't it? A very sinister hours radio to come. Sinister
1: Cerise Howard. That would have been better. Sinister supernatural Cerise
0: Howard. Sing it. <laughs> no, I won't. On tonight's show, we'll be rapping and tapping with Eddie Murphy playing comedian and exploitation legend Rudy Ray Moore in Craig Brewer's... Dolomite is my name. We'll count to 100 with Samara Weaving as she plays a deadly game of hide-and-seek with her deranged in-laws in radio silences, ready or not. And for tonight's retro title, we'll find out who will survive and what will be left of us as we look back at the 45th anniversary of Toby Hooper's horror classic, The Texas Chainsaw. Now, before we kick off, is there uh, anything anybody would like to, any, any events in film we had this week? I'm just throwing it out to the room, because I'm that kind of random guy. No deaths, no, no.
1: <laughs> I don't know what to say now. <laughs> I, we did go, I saw you there, Paul, that the, the Astor Theatre had their annual Spooktacular. Yes, I saw was you there as well. The, the, just on, it was Saturday night, was Yes, it, it was, right? yeah. Um, Your
0: partner with his f- resplendent and his fine room 237 shining <laughs> yes, carpet. yes. Top?
1: Yep. <laughs> Movie nerding out there. Um, so that was a hoot, going and watching. How many films do they screen?
0: Uh, they screened nine. I saw three. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw the aforementioned Chainsaw Massacre. I saw Dawn of the Dead and um, uh, The Nightmare in Elm Street.
1: And this week as well, I think The Evil Dead with the MSO is happening. So yes. there's lots of exciting Halloween-y kind of stuff going on in cinema this week in Melbourne.
0: I'm going to that as well.
1: So am I. Like, See so you There. The- <laughs>
0: Or a Tragics Unite. <laughs> <laughs> it's that time of year. We love a bit of Halloween around the cave. We've got the, uh, you know, bats and spider webs and things hanging around. Uh, any Halloween celebrations yet around your way, uh, your Cerise?
2: Will you be trick-or-treating? You know I will, Paul. <laughs> uh, I have no. I don't know that I have anything planned. I don't know that I have anything particularly spooky and... The days ahead If 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 I, indeed I do It will be truly spooky Because it's not expected <laughs> There's nothing tremendously scary About the things that you know are coming That's true no. Yeah But we'll come to ready or not a bit later Won't we
0: yeah, We will um,
2: In the meantime
0: And on Halloween I will be the guy screaming, uh, Scaring small children With my uh, shrieking uh, toy axe And my Jason mask <laughs> and coverall But first, let's uh, check out the new uh, Netflix original release of Dolomite Is My Name. Finding himself in his mid-40s, assistant managing a record store and struggling to get his own records played on the in-store radio station, it's fair to say the reality of Rudy Ray Moore, played by Eddie Murphy, is some distance away from his dreams. He moonlights as an MC for his friend's band, but nobody seems to want to buy anything Rudy is selling. One day, a local homeless person stumbles into his store looking for cash but winds up cracking the customers up by performing passed down stories of mythical animals, pimps and sex workers, all told to the tenor of street life. Seeing this, Rudy hits upon the idea that these stories, if tightened up and polished, could make a pretty good act. Particularly if he invents a rude, crude, cocky and high-stepping pimp character to deliver it. And Eureka, Dolomite, is born. He records a party comedy record in his living room with his friends, winds up releasing it himself when he's turned down by every record company in town, and despite having to sell it out of car boots, it becomes a smash in the African-American community. This becomes a bit of a theme for Rudy, as after a few more hit albums, an ill-fated viewing of Billy Wilder's The Front Page (laughs) inspires him and his friends to make their own movie, A Star Vehicle for Dolomite. This journey to the screen will bond a small community of African-American entertainers awaiting their shot, and one conceited actor-director played by Wesley Snipes, but will Rudy risk all his own, but will also see Rudy risk all his own money and even his future album royalties to get it finished. But Rudy's never known a chance. A challenge his charm and enormous self-belief won't overcome. Sally, did this slice of behind-the-scenes action put you in traction or was that just a mere fraction of your reaction?
1: (laughs) Definitely put me in traction. (laughs) There was nothing about this film that I didn't like. I I loved this. I found it to be so joyous. There was so much to it and it didn't have to get overly sappy or in-depth with anything. Um, Eddie Murphy was amazing. Uh, There's these great, I guess, parallels between him and Rudy Ray Moore where you're seeing Dolomite being invented for him to kind of have, you know, his career and then we see this as sort of Eddie Murphy's compact playing that character. Um, yeah, it, it was, I think, it's great to have these films that come out and look at a film called Dolomite. What year was Dolomite released? 1975. And it gives an audience really new appreciation for this because I think these films often get that title where, which I really hate, so bad it's good. Um, but having, uh, you know, something that's viewed this widely gives an audience an appreciation for, you know, I guess independent cinema for one Um the I guess slog that people put into making these films and why they're important both you know in cinema and culturally as well so I think that comes through really well in this film I, I really like I said I don't have a bad word to say about it I absolutely loved it from the very start to the very finish it was yeah one of the most joyous movie experiences that I've had this year was watching Money. Is My Name my only gripe is that I didn't get to watch it at a cinema and I had to watch it at home, yeah, it
0: would have played mm. pretty well on a big screen, Cerise. Yep.
2: Yeah, this was some really sweary good
0: fun. Yep. um, um R rated, which I, I was happy to see do you on feel Netflix. That,
1: like Netflix ratings are harsher.
0: No, I've never I, really I, noticed, yeah, because there's
1: things like Big Mouth and that that are rated R as well. I don't know, I feel like their ratings are harsher. Sorry, we, we do
0: live in a country where yeah. clerks was rated R, yeah. So.
2: Well, it's it's curious that this should have that rating. Mm. I, I hadn't noticed what it was rated, but it's um, yes, there's a lot of cuss words in the <laughs> script, uh, and Eddie Murphy delivers them with greater aplomb But it's actually a really chaste film, mm. uh, and for this character, who's this sort of sexed up pimp, um, yeah, his his the character that uh, Rudy Ray Moore assumes, um, the Dolomite. Um, The Rudy Ray Moore behind the Dolomite is really seemingly very sexually timid or just there's nothing going on there at all. It's really odd. I found Mm. that
1: really interesting about this film as well, that there wasn't that kind of – and there was opportunity for it to have some kind of romance or even some kind of sex scene and that didn't happen. Or at least a comical sex
2: scene because they get to this great point in the making of the film within the film – where they're wondering, you know, he's actually agonising over how to play a sex scene, and he gets advice from Queen I uh, uh, I don't know that yep, Queen B, so, yep. but she's fabulous, um, mm-hmm. and and she puts it to him that maybe he should just play it for laughs, and and as occurred in the actual film Dolomite, and then is shown here in the making of, you know, hilariously, it is played for laughs, and it's very funny, and just wonder why they didn't actually. Put in some sex scenes outside of the making mm. of the film. Well, well, there's thing. Uh,
0: there's uh, quite a bit of nudity. Like there's, you know, they go to strip clubs a couple of times and things like that. And there's there's nudity in the background, but no actual. You're right, no actual sexual interactions yeah. per se.
2: Yeah, or, or even any sort of sense that he m- might pursue a relationship with anybody. It's it's really yeah. odd.
1: Because yeah, there's at one point. Yeah, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but you feel like perhaps he might, and then it's just. You know, mm. a friendship.
2: Yeah, yeah. Which, which is sweet. I mean, there's mm. real sweetness yeah, to his character is. for all the trash talking.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and that's the thing. You, you kind of get the sense that a lot of it's front. You know, a lot of it's and he's, he's actually this kind of sort of sweet guy built beneath. Mm-hmm. Um, he was never interesting. He was never married. Um, his Wikipedia page similarly does not have a personal life section. So, interesting. Maybe he played those cards fairly close to his chest. Yeah, you know possibly. That? No, but it's funny because I I have a little bit of experience. Like I I the first myth experience I ever had, well one of the, the uh, back in 1998, they had a black exploitation sidebar, and the Human Tornado, which is the sequel to Dolomite, was one of the films I saw. So, um, and he, he's a singular screen presence. Um, but you, you always got the feeling that it was out of ego, you know, sort of like having putting himself in these sex scenes and everything like that. And this film actually works to kind of. Reverse that perception a little bit. Yeah, I I
1: really like that. How this film made him seem very, very humble, Mm. Um, and that because yeah, I've seen Dolomite, The Human Tornado, all that sort of stuff, and it's just Godfather. Yeah, and you do look at it and go, okay, this guy's got this huge ego. He's doing these records, he's making these films, totally so that he can have, you know be a superstar. Yeah. But um yeah, this really works well. I think it's stripping that back and showing that he was kinda of, well, just he, wanted some sort of legacy. Well he yeah. did. He
2: had ambition to make mm. something of his life. He he left uh which was it Arkansas? Yeah. It mm-hmm. Arkansas. Yeah. Um and, and there are suggestions he had a very unhappy childhood and you know he he wanted to make something of himself in the big city and was stymied. Um I mean, you know you can't be doing too well when you work in a record store which has its own radio station which refuses to play your material. <laughs> That's great. And the, the in-house DJ Snoop Dogg. Is, and he I mean, won't, won't let you play it. Yeah. and Actually, that, all the little supporting roles in this are fabulous. Chris Rock has a great moment later mm-hmm. on too. And Wesley Snipes is hilarious.
1: He was fantastic. I think that he was one of my favourite things about this was Wesley yeah, I like Snipes. Yeah, too. I feel Excellent.
0: like this film, yeah, I feel like this film has three comebacks mm. for mine. One is Eddie Murphy, one is Wesley Snipes, and the other is one of my very favourite directors of the mid-2000s, Craig Brewer, who brought us Hustle and Flow and Black Snake Moan, which was two of my favourite films of the last decade.
2: I'm a bit intrigued by this guy because he, he's a white guy, right? Yeah. Because he's, he's really clearly interested in African-American culture. Born and raised in Memphis and has always been really steeped in African-American
0: culture mm-hmm. of Memphis and musical culture in particular. Um, yeah, and clearly has an affinity with uh, with um, African-American performers. Uh, Eddie Murphy's hired him again to do the Coming to America sequel.
2: There's a, They're doing a Coming to America it's sequel? It's
0: called Coming to America. It's uh, next year. I see what... what
2: they With did the number there. two in there. Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Look. You know I uh, uh, look it's 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 Murphy and Brewer I'm I'm reserving all judgment <laughs> Paul's gonna be there I will be there regardless
2: so was this really a, a comeback I mean, had Eddie Murphy not done anything for, I think some for time? three years I think he hasn't done
1: anything for three years it's,
2: it's yeah something more. like
0: you know it's three years and he's filmed first and and then it was like that was four years after like I think he's made two or three movies in seven years
1: what was the last what, what did you do <laughs> because it's like dr Doolittle this the last <laughs> well really that's the remember. thing this
0: his last film was was a film for Bruce Beresford called Mister Church, what? which looks like the kind of thing. Yeah, was not released here. Uh, looks like the kind of thing. It's like uh, I'm a comedic actor. I'm going to try and do a serious, heartwarming movie, and okay. it just looks like celluloid treacle. It looks <laughs> awful. Um, yeah, that was his last film, and before that, I think maybe Tower Heist. The um, the Brett Ratner film with mm. Ben Stiller, so he's been I out of that one as well. Out of the Zeitgeist for a long mm. time, and in terms of apparently this is his first uh, USR rated film since Life in 1999, twenty years ago, because he's been doing exclusively family yeah. films.
2: Yeah, he executive produced this, but yeah, I think yeah. He did. Uh, produced, just produced. Yeah, yeah. but it, clearly this was a project of some. Um, uh, he, he felt some sort of sense of ownership and and wanted to truly inhabit this role. Uh, um, and it does down to the beer gut. He's very <laughs> it's great. It's very <laughs> like, fetching.
0: It's so nice to just see him and Wesley just be loose yep. and give themselves over to the to the characters and the performances and really get into the spirit of it. I I thought this was. I think you nailed it before. Um, a, a joy. That was what came to my mind the minute this finished. Like this, mm-hmm. that was just a joy. Also hit me right in the heart as well as an independent filmmaker and. It, that whole thing is like, oh, nobody accepted. It. I'll do it myself. That's kind of, <laughs> it's been my partner and I's narrative as well. <laughs> so we're just gonna do it ourselves. We'll four wall it. And we four walled our film at the Lido a couple of years ago. You know, it's like it's so it's very uh, hashtag relatable content. Yeah. But also the um, the whole thing of yeah, bringing a community together and sort of fun. And it's you know it's a lot of people that always wanted their shot and never got the chance. And that's always really beautiful. It's like somebody I heard somebody describe it as like. Because it's from the, it's also important to note that it's from screenwriters Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who are a brand in themselves. They they write biopics about subjects that shouldn't that traditionally sh- shouldn't have biopics. What so are they the wrote, ones have they done? Well, the big one, Ed Wood. Oh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just a little Which little is movie,
1: a fantastic. film. yeah. yeah. Um, Excellent. Ed
0: Wood, The People vs. Larry Flint, okay. Big Eyes, um, and Man
2: on the Moon. I
1: I love all of them except I haven't seen Big Eyes so I can't comment on it But the rest of them I absolutely adore Okay, interesting, I didn't realise that This would
2: make a great double with Edward Yeah, there's kindred spiritedness Mm. there for sure
0: I've heard this referred to as Edward with a happier ending Yeah yeah, it doesn't <laughs> devolve into porn and alcoholism he um, they make <laughs> lots of money and he has a you know stand-up career and influences rappers he's often referred to as the godfather of rap
1: oh yeah, no i didn't realize that it's really interesting
0: yeah he's 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 an interesting character but yeah i just loved the and I, it also felt like there was parallels to today's filmmaking landscape as well it's like this whole thing is like I an independent can't get a film released so they've got to try and sh- you know do it all themselves and be himself. their own Promotion and get out on the street
2: and kick out the homeless out of a location <laughs> yeah. that you have illegally inhabited for your film shoot. I mean, it, it, we've all been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that, that was a, an interesting little moment that was glossed over in the fun of it all. but yeah. that, that was a bit harsh. And maybe he totally stole someone's stick, and you know, maybe actually he was an asshole.
0: Another thing, stealing yeah, the stealing but the stick sh- was interesting.
1: Other thing that I was like, oh, maybe that's kind of a bit questionable. Is that um, he did take those guys' stories and make a character out of. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. oh, that's someone else's words. But you know, yeah. he evolved it. Hey, he look, just he paid- took it he just took it as inspiration.
0: He paid them their money, you yeah. know. Yeah, it's
2: true. <laughs> there were no contracts. No.
0: <laughs> That was that was interesting. I, I was watching that. I wonder I wonder how much of this is gleaned from you know like I wonder if Rudy would take issue with that or own up to that. It was That's also kind of interesting. interesting
1: that it was in a point where we'd had a lot of. It was after a lot of black exploitation classics had already been released, like Black Mama, White Mama, and Blackula, and Shaft you know, and Superfly. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so that they had already sort of, I guess, had not their heyday, but they were you know out there and. It, I found how this film took from not taking inspiration from them because initially that's where I would have thought that he would have gone and seen these films and gone, okay, I'm going to do something like that. But um, taking something from Billy Wilder's... <laughs> the front punch. <page. laughs> yeah, damn, <laughs> and... that
2: seemed white in this context. Yeah, I know. It was, oh, yeah, white, it was white. really <laughs>
1: interesting. I love Billy Wilder yeah. and watching it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it is late period. It is all, like, you know, late period old man Billy Wilder, yep. though. I mean, look, I like the movie, but, yeah, it's like it's not... It's not ace in the hole, you know? Uh, um, but, yeah, I, it's even down to the song they show Susan Sarandon singing, it's like the whitest. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's hilarious. But, yeah, I this is rocketing. This will feature in my favourites of the year, I think.
2: Yeah, it's really fun. It's yep. lovingly crafted and... Fabulous performances abound and the fashions are spot on. Yeah, they're excellent. (laughs) Dolomite is My Name is now
0: streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Plato's Cave on Triple R. This
1: is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up rrr.org.au to find out how.
0: So for our next film, this is our retro pick for the week, uh, so, and and something again we've we've adopted for the last two weeks of the month. I really wish I'd thought of it two weeks earlier. But celebrating the glorious month of Shocktober, we're going to highlight another horror film. And boy, what uh, you, you you can't uh, look. I don't want to look. I don't want to give away my review. But let's just face it: there is no better horror film to. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Right. Do you this like is... it? Oh, look, I'm a little <laughs> bit of a fan. Um, so this uh, is my introduction, okay? <clears throat> <clears throat> the film which you are about, we are about to talk about is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is more all the more tragic in that they were young, but had they lived very very long lives they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of America, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was going to do my John Larroquette imitation. I thought, no, just do it in your own voice. <laughs> um, Sally.
1: Well, this is one of my favourite movies ever. Um, I sometimes find it really hard to talk this much. It's...
2: Oh God, Try singing, Sal. So. No, I'm not going to do that. Okay, we'll lose God. listeners and so
1: we'll lose listeners instantly. <laughs> but this to me is just such exactly what cinema should be as one thing in particular that I love about it that gets me every time is the sound design in this movie it's absolutely incredible but everything about it it just and I really hate to use this word if I'm describing a film but it's gritty it's (laughs) authentic Mm. it you know you can tell that Toby Hooper when he was directing this film that these poor actors that are in this film are in God 40 plus degree heat and are really suffering. And it's got such, you know, a bad rap for being so incredibly violent. Uh, But it's not. It's not violent at all. Um, Well, violence is implied, but we very, very rarely see it. I don't think we ever see any kind of um, instrument penetrating skin, even though it's called a slasher. I could be wrong, but once or twi- once
0: or twice, very briefly, we see leather, The chainsaw uh, cut Leatherface's own leg when he drops And see,
1: it. that that kind of feels okay as a viewer yeah. because, you know, he's our bad guy. But there's oh, there's so much to this film. There's, you know, there's so much interesting gender stuff that happens where we see Leatherface go in at one point, the infamous dinner scene, and he changes masks into a, you know, a feminine, uh, like a feminine mask and he's kind of, you know, taking on that role as a housewife. There is just, there's so much in this movie that I don't even know where to begin with it. But I did go and visit the house last year. So good. I did. I went I, with... Enjoyed. um. Alexandra, Helen, Nicholas and I, we went on a little road trip in Texas. We had lunch there. <laughs> so you
2: can dine there.
1: You can dine there. Mm. It's, you uh,
0: don't have to sit in a skeleton chair to do no, it?
1: No, we were kind of looking for an old grandpa that might start sucking his finger at any time, but it didn't happen. There were some petrifying birds out the back of the property. But um, it's now a cafe that is... Primarily for older clientele like scones and afternoon tea. But as soon as we came, they were like, Oh, you're here because it's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. And they let us look around the place. <laughs> and it was so much fun. It was a real hoot. But um, yeah, I love this film. Words can't describe how much I love this film. It's amazing. How about song? No, it's not about <laughs> happen, Cerise. <I'm> not singing. <laughs> I'll prepare one maybe next week. Will you? Maybe. For the Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. Just yeah. making it a two week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. have to think about that'd it. I can't do it on the spot.
0: That'll be a second track. No. are you going to sing us something about Texas Chainsaw? You Wars?
2: know, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I suppose I'll talk a little bit about it. I haven't seen it for some time, but it is one of those films that once seen is not easily forgotten. It's certainly rich in atmospherics, something that a lot of today's horror filmmakers just don't quite grasp. And it's it's one of those things that's possibly quite difficult to grasp, just what it is that actually generates a sense of dread. Uh, A lot of younger horror filmmakers, I think, seem to presume that if you startle people enough, that will have them scared. Jump scares. Yeah, Yeah. jump scares. Turn the volume, turn the Dolby Atmos up to 11. That's enough, isn't it? (laughs) There's just some... um, Because we're going to be talking about another horror film shortly and I don't want to speak too much about that and speaking about... This Maybe I should speak more about just what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre does right And this is was his debut feature? Second feature Second feature Okay, and he made some shorts before Oh no, believe. he did that What was that it's, hippie it's, film yeah, that he did? Yeah, it's a that. counterculture comedy
0: called Eggshells
1: Yeah, where aliens come down Yeah, huh? I have watched it
2: yep. Watchable? Yes
1: uh, Surprisingly It's pretty easily accessible
2: Yeah, uh-huh. um, yeah it's, yeah, a it's not. It's not great. I I look
0: for a cookie. You know, look the the hippie Texans in the late '60s. It's kind of what you think they would come out with. Uh, In that level, it's you know, it's got some invention, but it ain't no TCM.
2: A curious precursor to this, then though. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, there
1: are some very interesting shots in eggshells that do parallel Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in particular the opening sequence of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, that beautiful kind of sunrise coming over the graveyard, mm-hmm. I think is used a lot in eggshells. So you can kind of see his style... Um, Toby Hooper style in eggshells coming through But yeah, there's just, I don't know Like you were saying, Cerise It's so hard to capture atmosphere in that And I've never seen a movie that does it as well as this
2: I'm sure that the, I I don't Actually, I suspect it wasn't a choice but To use 16mm film would have been integral Mm. To the atmospherics of this film It's graininess, uh, that that grit that we speak of Sort of metaphorically But it's kind of in the fabric of the film as well Just to have that (laughs) graininess It gives it a more of a sense of a newsreel sort of faux authenticity, something that um, you know, George Romero not long beforehand with Night of the Living Dead achieved as well. There's something about actually having a poverty of means often can lead to a, a greater effect, um, especially when crafting atmospherics. If you if you show things too clearly, like as you were just saying before, Sal, you don't actually see that much that's horrible in this film, but your imagination fills in a lot of gaps because mm-hmm. it's asked to. Because the, the film sets you up not to set up certain expectations and confound them, sort of to set up certain expectations because it's generated enough dread that you know something bad is going to happen Then yes, it does, but it doesn't then show it explicitly such that you, you then get to sort of go, oh, that just looks stupid or yeah. fake yeah, or yeah. how cheesy or come yeah. on. Yeah. Instead there's that just that sustained atmosphere that just leaves you feeling uneasy and... Um, and and which is as i recall really very powerfully sustained throughout mm. the film um and i think that's the film's great achievement why it's been so durable there there aren't uh, effects in there that seem dated yeah. um that it,
0: that restraint insulates it from dating it, it
2: does whereas you know, there, there are a lot of films from the 80s well you know, horror films and other films heavy on special effects uh, I can still love a lot of latex monster action and and rubbery goings on and and fake bloodbaths, baths, but um, it dates them. Hmm. You go, oh, it's the '80s, or when CG started to become overused, and you oh, okay, it's just a CG thing, and that dates it as well. But there's something that you go far enough back to these more to a more primitive mode of filmmaking, and somehow it's more timeless.
0: Yeah, and and also uh, there's no overbearing score. As well. So, you know, often 80s films, the minute you start hearing the synth, it's like, oh, I'm in the 80s. Um, Yeah, Yeah, totally. And this just, this is one of those films, I, you know, it's always had a dark fascination, like seeing the video cover and it was banned, where in that, you know, this figure with a, you know, weird mask on the front the giant chainsaw is on the front. He's wearing a tie for some reason. I don't know why. And then (laughs) it's so fascinating. And then, and one day somebody was playing it at a friend's house and I saw the end of it and just that image of Leatherface swinging the, te- uh, the chainsaw above his head yeah, is so indelible, like made such an impact and terrified me as yeah,
2: a kid. I, I saw this, um, not the film, but the trailer for it uh, in a cinema in Wellington as a kid and I just thought, what? Is this film? How do I get to see this? And do I really want to? It looks terrifying. Of course, I want to see it. It looks amazing, and it had just some lame slogan like "The Buzz is Back" or something like that. It was just promoting the fact that it was having some sort of return season. You know, so this is sometime in the eighties, long after its initial release, but mm-hmm. its notoriety had it you know, was already considerable by then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, even in what was then a cinematic backwater in terms of distribution in New Zealand, it was really prints got to New Zealand once they'd done their full journey. You know, <laughs> yeah. films, they, they don't release sort of simultaneously back then like they do now. It's a very different landscape.
0: Which would have added to Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well a scratch, scratchy, beat up print that had been yeah, halfway around sure. the world. Yeah. Um,
2: well, I just, I, I never got to see it while still in Wellington, while still in my teens. Um but I always had that sense of it being something almost mythological mm. and and it's long had that reputation. And then, of course, we finally do see it and it's that rare film that does satisfy the sort mm-hmm. of notions you might have about it.
0: Yeah. That's the most amazing thing. Like watching the uh, – because this played at the Astor Spooktacular – that we mentioned earlier, the other night, and before that, Dawn of the Dead and uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street had played, and they had, you know, they roused the audience, and they were a lot of fun. But there was a lot of audience chatter, and there was a lot of laughing at things. Some things appropriately, other things, like Nightmare on Elm Street in particular, is very cheesy at times, and that at times, <laughs>
2: <Not the whole laughs> frequently, movie?
0: yeah. And then <laughs> this. Everyone shut the hell up mm. for 83 minutes. And it's like occasionally a, a bit of uneasy uh, at something. And it's like, holy, 45 years on, this thing just still has an audience in the palm of its hand. And it's because it's a masterwork. Like, the I talk about the dark fascination and then I saw it and it just feels like, as you say, Cerise, it feels like something almost uh, verite. You know, it feels almost yeah. like documentary. It's something. It's just these. We just follow these poor kids as they tumble into this situation. But the more you watch it, the more you will realize this is. I don't know. Like, I've got to watch more making of documentaries and commentaries about this because I feel like. There's something about the craft of this movie that is, inc- that is Hitchcockian.
1: Well, I know that pretty much work. all the cast and crew was suffering terribly while making this film.
0: I know Gunnar Hansen never washed his uniform. Working
1: for- conditions, <laughs> you know, just you know, almost a student film, and these awful, you know heat, long hours, they, they would work these incredibly long days where the actors were exhausted yeah. and, you know, so that's, that, that really comes through and it's, you know, what Cerise was saying before, that sometimes this lack of funding gets this authenticity in cinema because it is happening.
0: But the thing that really has me thinking this is what you were saying, what you said right at the top, cell is the sound design. And the fact that the last half hour of this film is a work of pure, inescapable, sustained, unrelenting mania in a in a fashion I have never experienced. And the 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 screen I mean, you've got Marilyn Burns the Sally Hardesty who reacts as a person would actually react in this situation, basically just becomes nonverbal and freaks. And it but it's the screams and it's the the jittering of the family and it's the sore and it's all the things and it's just it has you on edge for the la- like for the last half of the film. You're just and closer, and when it starts going extreme close ups and eyes, it's almost like a fever dream. There's it's working at another level, and you get to the end of the film, and I just every time this film ends after I watch it, I just end up uttering a certain f bomb. It's all that comes to mind because it's just like hot, Like I just feel like I've been, you know. <laughs> it's like it's the only, cause it's the only way I can react to this film. It is, a, it's incredible, and it's. It, it, I think there's a lot of subtext here too about it's a it's a it's it's an America that's been left behind and left to rot and fester and it's all the things we're afraid they of. They
1: had all the um, – this also was written around the time that there were the gas crisis yeah. and that really comes through in this film where we see a bunch of teenagers stranded because they can't get petrol. Um, so, you know, Toby Hooper's definitely playing on that. But um, it is – somewhat inspired by the serial killer, Ed Gein. And it's interesting because there's another film that came out the same year, Deranged, Mm. um, which is a fun film. I really like Deranged. There's some similar sequences, even though it's obviously per chance they'll both be made at the same time. Um, There's a dinner table scene, all this kind of stuff. Mm. But yeah, it's just interesting how they're such different films. They're using the same kind of base story, but this Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just still so raw and, yeah.
0: Great white shark of fright films. Yep. That's what horror is, yep. as far as I'm concerned. Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not currently, it's it's a rare, I thought it was streaming on SBS and Demand or Amazon you Prime. You can buy it it's easily not. enough. Go and buy it. Yeah. It's worth it. I see a repertory screening if there's another one around, but, yeah, just buy it, Make own it. It's the best.
1: Woo! <laughs> ah, that's right. Triple R.
0: So ready or not, Grace is about to marry into the seemingly ultra-rich Ledomar gaming dynasty, but her husband-to-be, Alex, played by Mark O'Brien, seems less than chuffed at having to be back among his family, as does his brother Daniel, who seems to spend most of his time in an alcoholic haze. This might have something to do with the fact that uh, Charles and... Uh, that, uh, sorry if I forget the name. Uh, Alex and Daniel witnessed somebody being killed in their house as children. You see, because whenever there's a marriage into the Le Domar family, them being gamers and all, they have a tradition (laughs) that on the wedding night, instead of a traditional, you know, go back to the honeymoon suite, what have you, no, no, you have to come down to the gaming room with the family and play a game. You draw a card from a mystical deck and whatever that card tells you you're going to play, that's the game. Usually it's something benign. It's chess. It's, you know, checkers. Old Old maid. Old maid, mm-hmm. but Grace chooses hide and seek. Seems innocuous, right? But when the seekers are armed with archaic weapons and trying to kill you, uh, poor Grace has to run for her life. Sally, was this a uh, was this a royal flush or a uh, or bust?
1: Um, a little bit of both. <laughs> a little bit of both. Look. I, I did enjoy this film. Um, it, I felt like it was trying to make some sort of social commentary on class and even perhaps the uh, awful state of the foster care system in America at the moment. It's not giving away any spoilers, but the, our lead character comes from foster care. Um that didn't really work for me in this film. Mm. Uh, whatever social commentary they were trying to make, they just were doing a very half-assed job of it. But having said that, it as a schlocky, you know, horror film, it, it was good fun. Uh, there were points where it lost me a little bit, but I have to say the ending made up for it. I really, really enjoyed the ending. It made up for any lackluster parts of the movie. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was good fun, but... It, it's interesting coming to talk about this after talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the way that the films look. Uh, this film is so crisp and so clean and so vivid, which is just I guess how cinema is now, that it sort of takes away a bit of the magic when you're looking, especially at horror cinema, mm. that it should have that kind of dullness and not be, you know, so in your face and that, that sort of took away from it for me. But, yeah, it was... It was fun enough to watch.
0: Or quite so polished.
1: Yeah, at 10am on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it was fine.
2: <laughs> Games. Games. Mm. Oh, here's a parlour game, a fun critics game. Actually, it's an obnoxious one. But, you know, <laughs> you, you take any given film, in this case uh, Ready or Not, and you say it's a cross of this with this. And I watched this and I thought this is Arrested Development crossed, it, crossed with the most dangerous game Finger crossed eggs. with The Devil Rides Out and my work here is done. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Only it's not as good as any of them. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that whole business of it being polished is, yeah, there's there's nothing scary.
1: No, I felt like that too. And there were some bits that really could have been. Um, I haven't seen any of these, the director's previous films. They did VHS. It was a... One of directing, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know, I haven't seen any of them. I kind of looked up to see what else they'd done, I haven't seen them, but yeah, very yeah. polished.
2: Yeah, every, everything's just a bit bland, it's a bit beige, mm. and um, yeah, any, any commentary on class is extremely token. Mm. Um, uh, Andy McDowell, what is she even doing in there? It's so weird. <laughs> the casting, <laughs> I
1: thought that too. Yeah. I
2: quite liked her in it though, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, she held her own, but it, every no one in the film is taking the film seriously yeah. enough for it to get scary everyone seems to be winking at the camera it's <laughs> yeah I, I never felt that i was in a remotely realistic narrative universe um so i couldn't care less about any of the characters and 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 when various of them met their ends usually a comeuppance of some sort because most of them well in fact they're all pretty awful um yeah it, it just didn't register whereas you know you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and as people are dispatched, you you feel yeah. that. Yeah. This is I, I felt nothing. I had no feels during this. I felt like a, it's it's a mogadon of horror films. There are many, to be fair. It's not alone. It's not the sole film guilty of making me feel nothing. <laughs> nothing staring into the void, <laughs> which is a very horror thing. You could say actually, just feeling numb. But uh, no, I I just found this very bland. Um, I felt yeah, one moment made me. Tick, just a little, a little twinge of ouchiness, um, a little uh, yes. impaling moment, yeah, something yeah. of the hand, yeah. That was, yeah but nothing, nothing that was else, the one yeah. For me too, yeah. No, I felt nothing else throughout yeah. the rest of this film, and I didn't really chuckle either. If it was, if it's going to be that polished, then the chuckles should be more chucklesome. Yeah. So it just, just <laughs> didn't register for me. Interesting. I'm, I'm
0: quite down on horror this year. Like a lot of my worst films of the year have been horror. I had a ball with this. I had a really good time. I thought it was brutally efficient. It didn't waste a minute. I thought it was so much fun. I really got it. There seems to be this kind of rapidly expanding Kill the Rich subgenre that's happening at the moment. Yeah, there is, isn't there? With this and Joker and Mm -hmm. a few other films that have come out this year. Um, Look, I mean, is that an intriguing development among recent recent major studio releases responding to the times or is it an opportunity to profit from Discord? Discuss. (laughs) But maybe it's a question for another day as we've only got a couple of minutes left. But... I just felt this, yeah, it's very silly. It's not especially deep, but I like the twist. I like the cast. Um, Henry Zerny, who plays the father, he's from Mission Impossible. He's Kittredge from Mission Impossible. I dig him. I, I thought Andy McDowell was fun. I like Adam Brody. I, I love that Samara Weaving has become a scream queen now. I don't
1: really think I've seen her in Have you seen else? The Babysitter? No. Yeah. That was another Netflix release, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, I haven't actually seen it.
0: It's not amazing, but she's great. And well, mm. she's Australian, right? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Of the Weaving Hugo dynasty. Now, I don't know if she's Hugo's daughter or niece. We're going
1: to find out. We're going
0: to find out. Because I I, I feel like I thought she was his daughter and turned out to be a niece or something. But, yeah, I don't know. I just felt I, I think it's very much a horror comedy. Oh, for sure. Um, yep. I don't think, and it almost felt more like an action comedy at times, mm. like with elements of horror towards the end. Um, and I like, lo- yeah, I think the ending is tremendously satisfying. Yeah,
1: I loved it. That uh, that kind of, yeah, really made up for any shortcomings for me at the end.
0: And I like that half the family were kind of very ambivalent toward the situation. Like, half the, like, it is, re- like, yeah, I got arrested development vibes as well. Mm. Very much kind of like half the family are like, oh, we don't even want to do this. <laughs> I kind of liked, um, but you know, the rich are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Ready or Not is now screening at all good cinemas... You're back on Plato's Cave on Triple R with Paul Anthony Nelson, Cerise Howard and Sally Christie. Who's going to sing for us?
1: I'm not, Cerise. Oh. Stop here pressuring me to sing. It's
0: not going to happen. Speaking of, have you guys, there is actually a clip on YouTube. Look it up, listeners. Of YouTube. Cerise singing? No, of their, the, sla- the Slash Street Boys or something. And it's a cover of I Want It That Way, but it's I'll Kill You That Way. I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. With Jason. So I've
1: seen it scrolling through my... Facebook, <laughs> news feed, maybe wish that I hadn't seen
0: it. <laughs> it, just, it just reminded me because Leatherface starts singing as like a country music and they tell him to basically sod off. Um, <laughs> hi, comedy. Um, so on tonight's show, we discussed uh, Dolomite Is My Name, now streaming on Netflix. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um it's out there just buy it just buy it
1: spend your hard-earned money on it. it's worth it
0: and it's funny though it's one of the few it's maybe the only film one of the few i can't watch it alone in the house i can't have it on it's it's like i need people around Mm. it's just it's too creepy it's the reason i don't take back roads when taking road trips people (laughs) never again um and we also reviewed Ready or Not, which is now screening at all good cinemas. Uh, you can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Plato's Cave page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Plato's Cave podcast via iTunes... or uh, slash Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, our intrepid cavers will explore Happy Sad Man, the new documentary from I Am Eleven director Genevieve Bailey. Terminator Dark Fate, the latest in a six seemingly endless array of but Terminator one's films. This one got Arnie in it. This was this is the last my...
1: one of Arnie in it. No, this was my doing. The, the, what was the, that the... we're doing? Today. <laughs> it's Gene- got Arnie and I Linda Hamilton. I
0: thought had him in it for yeah. five seconds. I don't remember. Oh, I, don't know. I, I, know. Just... I don't know. Sorry yeah. in advance. Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and for our, our retro title, uh, title yet to be named, we'll surprise you during the week on our social media channels with that one. Thank you so much uh, to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling the show, to Faith Everard for editing the Plato's Cave podcast, and to Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show.
1: Thanks for listening to Triple R's Plato's Cave, a weekly radio show of informed, passionate, and fun film criticism. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch with us via the Plato's Cave Facebook page, Twitter, or via the Triple R website.